Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Let me go ahead and take this opportunity to say good morning to those watching online and to those watching at Buchanan. We are so glad that you are worshiping with the larger New Vision family this day. Also, uh, most of you are aware that Pastor Brady's wife, Amy, had surgery on Monday because of her diagnosis with breast cancer. I just want to update everyone and let you know that Amy's at home. The surgery went really, really well, so we can rejoice with that. That's exciting. Um, thank you so much for the prayers. Um, keep those prayers coming, y'all. Just keep them coming, and that's the best thing we could do as a church family. Today, we are starting a new series called Smoke Signals, where we're going to dive in of the, and talk about the healthy way to navigate our emotions and our feelings. And I thought in order to get us on the right path and to start at a good place, I'm going to allow the theologians at Disney to help us take our first step. So check this out. I love that movie, y'all. Some of you are wondering, like, what is that? Okay, it's a movie called Inside Out where it navigates emotions and feelings. And it's one of my favorite Disney movies because it paints a very good picture of what our emotions and our feelings kind of do and how to best navigate them. And here's what's interesting. The thing about feelings and emotions is they are great indicators, but they are horrible leaders. And for many of us, we allow them to lead us, we give them too much stock, and we listen to them more so than allowing the gospel to navigate our emotions and our feelings. And over the next few weeks, we're going to navigate how to best navigate our emotions and our feelings through the scope and the lens of the gospel. St. Augustine says this, that our deepest emotions often function like smoke from a fire. Smoke from a fire indicates that there is a fire burning somewhere. And the best way that we have been called to navigate them is to read them accurately, express them honestly, and allow the gospel to reshape them completely. And God created us in his image. So what does that mean? That he gave, he gave us emotions on purpose. Me growing up, a lot of the times I was told, you don't cry. Do not be sad. Fake it till you make it. Can I just tell you, that does not end any place good, everybody. We have been called to pay attention to them and to steward them well and always look through the lens of the gospel to best navigate those. And one of the emotions and feelings that give us the most trouble and that is not from the Lord and that has a lot of power over most of us is this emotion and feeling of shame. Shame is that feeling that you are not good enough, that you, are, you don't have worth, that you don't have value. And that is not from the Lord because here is what is true. If you have breath in your lungs, if you have been called by name, then you have worth and value. Shame wants to lead you to a place to deny the goodness of God and to see yourself through his lens. And so today, we are going to see that the gospel covers our shame. 
I love that in Homesick we talked about the father running to that wayward son and the shame coming upon himself because men in that day who were Hebrew did not run. Why? Because it would expose them. It would show them that they had shame. And what the father has done is he has bore our shame so you don't have to bear your shame. You don't have to walk in it and it does not define you. You are fully covered by the goodness and the blood of the Lamb, and so shame does not have its way with you because you're not halfway covered. You're all the way covered. You're not halfway adopted sons and daughters. You're fully adopted sons and daughters, and you're not halfway healed. You are fully healed through the completed work of Jesus Christ. And today, as we explore scripture, we're going to look at the story of the woman with the issue of bleeding and Jairus. Jairus' daughter is going to pass away, and this woman with the issue of bleeding carried her shame so all could see. But we're going to see what Jesus does with our shame. And what Jesus does with our shame is he takes our shame and he transforms our shame. I was reading an article in a magazine called Relevant Magazine, and one of the writers whose name is Andrew says this, what is most true is that I was made in the image of God, that God smiles over me despite my depravity, that the authority of the cross was and is greater than the supremacy of shame. My prayer for us today is that we will walk out of here not carrying our shame, but surrendering it and walk in a new nature and a new identity that Jesus Christ has sealed through his blood on a cross. And if you would, I invite you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, give us clarity and wisdom. Lord, let this not be a word from Nick, but may it be a word straight from you. Father, my prayer in this moment is that for those of us whose shame defines us, who we have grown accustomed to shame being our name. May in this place on this day, shame not have its way anymore, but what you have done through your completed work on a cross reign true for all of us. Father, we are all tempted in some sort of fashion and way to allow shame to define us, but I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that shame will no longer have its way in us and through us. So, Father, we're praying that you do a work. We're praying that you move in a mighty way. And, Lord, we trust you. May our walls come down. May we allow your word and your truth to take root in our heart so that it can produce a good fruit. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you. And, Father, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. Here's what is good for all of us in this place and all of those watching that Buchanan online. We have all experienced shame. Can I get an amen? I remember very vividly my first real taste of shame. I'm going to take y'all back to sixth grade. Oh, I was so excited about sixth grade. You get a locker. You don't have to walk in a line anymore from class to class or place to place. And I remember at my middle school, we had this thing called intramural sports, where you would go early in the morning, and you would play sports with your friends, and it was supposed to be a fun, inviting atmosphere. I remember going to intramurals the first time, and we were playing basketball, and I knew a little bit about basketball. I mean, as a middle school kid, I was short and very, very round, but I knew about basketball. 
So I remember going there and they're splitting the teams up and I was under the impression that we were going to have different color jerseys to differentiate the teams. And then the coach said some words that I will never, ever forget. It's every chubby kid's nightmare, everybody. He said, we're going to play shirts and skins. Listen, y'all, I remember hearing those words, be like, uh-uh, not today, devil, uh-uh. And then my prayer life got really fervent right then, y'all. I was like, dear Heavenly Father, you're using all the words, dear Heavenly Father who is on your throne, please be anointed in this place today and do not let this brother have to take his shirt off in the midst of these people. <laughs> Apparently, the Lord was not listening to this brother on that day. <laughs> so he looked at me. The coach did, and he said, hey, you're on the Skins team. And y'all, <laughs> I don't know if you've been there, where you reluctantly, like, fellas, you know what I'm saying? You reluctantly, you're like, okay. And then you look around and see who's looking at you. And then I remember this. I remember this so vividly. I remember when we started playing basketball, I, was, I remember trying to think to myself, make everything tight so when you run, you won't jiggle. And I don't know if you've ever experienced or that was you or you have seen that happen. It's an awkward thing to watch. I remember running down the court, be like, keep everything tight, right? <laughs> and here's the thing. I was a chubby kid, so there was no way I was keeping everything tight. And I just remember that feeling of shame of, man, look, people are looking at something that I do not want them to see. They are seeing me fully exposed, fully vulnerable, and I'm afraid of what they may think or do if they see this thing that I have carried around as shame. And maybe your shame wasn't what you look like in the mirror. Maybe it's a past mistake. Maybe it's something that has been done to you. Maybe it's some way you have fallen short. But so many of us with our shame, we try to hide it. And here's what is true. Those things that are kept in darkness have power over us. Not until the light hits it are we free from it. Ed Welch says this, shame is the deep sense that you are inherently flawed, unacceptable, and unworthy of love because of something you've done, something done to you, or something associated with you. See, shame says I am something bad. Shame says I am unworthy of love. And when shame happens, there are some deep side effects to our shame. One of those side effects is this, hopeless perfectionism. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is because shame has so much power over us, in order to combat it, we try to be perfect in everything that we do. We try to always say the right thing, do the right thing, in hopes that we can overcome that shame and other people won't see it. But hopeless perfectionism, let me just go ahead and tell you, it's not possible. Why? In case you have not figured it out, you are not perfect. And you might be like, Nick, I don't know what you're talking about. You don't know me. Ask the person next to you, hey, am I perfect? They will tell you. But yet we have this, this thing inside of us that we think if we can cover our own shame, then everything will be okay. You can't fix you. You can't. 
Our problem is deeper, and we cannot pay the price for our problem. But good news is this. We know a king who has and does. We have a king who has taken on our shame and given us his code of righteousness and said, shame no longer has its way in you, and you don't have to be perfect because I was perfect in your place. And the other thing about being a hopeless perfectionism is this, is that we try to make others around us be perfect. Everybody, that's a disappointing and defeated way to live. Because you're going to soon find out that not only are you not perfect, but the people around you are not perfect either. And here's the other thing. When we try to live in this hopeless perfectionism, we are really judgmental to those around us. Because when you fall short, it reminds me that I've fallen short and I don't like that. And so I have a very strict, judgmental way of measuring you that you can never meet. Another side effect of this shame that we walk in is harsh criticism of self and others. What do I mean by that? I mean, I don't know if you've ever met the people that you take them someplace, you go to a restaurant, they go, well, that was okay. You go to a movie, and they have all the negative things to say about you. Well, I think the producer could have done this, and the director in that shot. You're like, what is wrong with you? Like, they just can ne- They are harshly critical of everything. And also, this side effect of this shame is not only criticism to everybody else, but to yourself. You are so hard on you. Man, look, I knew I wasn't good. Look at the evidence. Man, I knew I could never measure up. Look at the evidence. And sometimes this presents itself when you're unable to receive a compliment. How many of us, someone gives us a compliment and we try to destruct it and explain it away? Hey, you did a really good job at filling the blank. Hey, that was a really tasty apple pie. And what do a lot of us do? Well, well, you know, I just followed the recipe. Just say thank you. Can I, let me just, this is free information for everybody. It's free. The only thing you get to do with a compliment is not to critique it, but to accept it. Because that person who is giving you that compliment sees something in you that they feel is worthy of complimenting, and the best thing you can do is to go, thank you. You don't have to destruct it. You don't have to break it down. But here's the deal. Because of some of us are walking in this shameful posture, we can't see it or receive it. Because shame has wreaked havoc on our lives. Another side effect of This shame is helpless feelings. I will always struggle with this. I will never be able to overcome. I will never be able to walk in what God has called me to walk in. Let me go ahead and tell you, if you have the hope of Jesus, you always have hope. You are never helpless. And at the end of the story, victory has been sealed through the completed work of Jesus on a cross and his resurrection over the grave. You are not helpless, but you always have hope. So today we're going to pull back the lens of scripture in Luke chapter 8, and we're going to see two people that are struggling with shame, shame in different ways, but still ultimately shame. And we're going to see how Jesus in his goodness steps into the midst of their shame 
and he changes it and transforms it. And it's truly a beautiful story. And I think that everybody in this place and watching online can relate in some form or fashion to this. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 40, says this. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Here's what's interesting. A guy like Jairus would not fall at the feet of another man because that was a shameful thing to do in the sight of everybody. But we'll see that Jairus did not care. Why didn't he care? Because he was desperate. Desperation leads us to do things that we would normally do. Verse number 42. Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So Jesus is doing a work. He has crowds because people wanted an intervention of God. They wanted a miracle. And so everyone's crowding around Jesus. And here's Jairus in the middle of this, and he falls upon his feet desperate for Jesus to step into this shameful moment that he's having and to do something different. Meanwhile, there's going to be someone else who needs a movement of God. Verse number 43. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. What's interesting to me is that this woman is nameless. I wonder if that's on purpose. I wonder in order to keep her shame to herself, in order to try to cover her shame, did she just try to fly and navigate in the shadows, never wanting the light to hit her or her shame because she would be exposed. But I see that because she is in this crowd, even though she's kind of on the outskirts and she's kind of hiding, she needs a movement of God. But yet shame always makes us want to hide. Think about your own self. Shame typically leads us to hiding and not bringing that shame to light because we are afraid what may happen if the light hits our shame. And notice, she had had this problem for 12 years. For 12 years, she was not allowed to worship in the temple. For 12 years, people avoided her, afraid that they may have a problem if they get too close to her. For 12 years, she felt alone. For 12 years, her shame has defined her. For 12 years, she was walking in this belief that the sum of who she was was where she was fallen and broken. And what I love about Jesus is that he is about to step into the midst of her shame and say that it has no power and rule over her anymore. And hear me. This is not just a scripture reread and it's a good story. This was a real woman with a real king who stepped in the midst of her real mess and the same is possible for us. Verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Ooh. Let us not move too quickly past that. I think a lot of times we read scripture and be like, well, look at that. That's just swell. No, y'all, 12 years, she got the same old thing, walked in the same old way, had the same old identity. In a moment, she touches the cloak of Jesus, and everything changed. 
Jesus healed her and took away her shame. And I'm sure she probably just wanted to touch his cloak and then run. Be like, whoa, I'm healed. Praise God. But Jesus is going to meet her there, and he's going to leverage that brokenness, and he's going to leverage that shame and show shame that it does not have its way and showing shame that he has the victory over it. Verse number 45. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, and here comes Peter being Peter again. Sometimes you're like, Peter, don't say it. Just shh. (laughs) Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone from me. What is Peter and Essa saying? Like, everybody's touching you, Jesus. What do you mean somebody touched you? Yeah, we in a crowd. That's what happens when you're in a crowd. But Jesus goes, no, 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 no. No, 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 Someone in particular touched me. Can I tell you this is huge? Why is this huge? Because Jesus knows you. He knows you in an intimate and a personal way. He's not just the God of the masses, but he's also the God of the individual, and he has an individual relationship with you, and he knows you. So he was fully aware when this woman who wanted to hang out in the shadows touched him and some power left him, he was fully aware. So he's going, hey, no, Peter, someone touched me in particular. Then the woman seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. Why would she come to Jesus trembling? Well, for one, she has been exposed, everybody. And typically, we're not really happy when we get exposed, right? I'm like, praise God, I got exposed. No. She comes trembling because you have to think for the last 12 years, what she has known is rejection, And so she comes trembling to this king because everything she has known before this has not been good. So why wouldn't you tremble in the presence of Jesus whom everyone is gathering around? In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him. Listen, she exposed her shame. She told all the people all around her what had happened. And how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus meets us in the midst of our shame and calls us beloved. Notice that he calls this woman daughter. He doesn't say stranger. He doesn't say woman who previously was known as a woman with the problem of bleeding. He calls her daughter. Here's what you have to see in the lens of Scripture. Jesus always calls us to, not just at. He calls us to. Think about Peter. Peter, you're the rock. You have done nothing to show us that you are the rock, but I'm calling you the rock because I know what I have in store for you, and I know what I'm going to do. So he calls her daughter. Hey, you are not your shame anymore. You are not your brokenness anymore. What you are, or you are a daughter of the king. If you're an amener, that's a good point to amen on, y'all. And let me just tell you why. Because I need to be reminded of that truth. Because so often, I'm so used to my name being my shame. I'm so used to identifying myself and my brokenness instead of identifying myself as my posture and my position to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
And I'm telling you, she was going to walk from this place as a daughter and not just someone who had a shameful disposition. Why? Because the king intervened and met her in the midst of her shame and called her beloved. Verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. He said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Verse 50. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. Verse 51. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Verse 52 is an interesting verse. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead but asleep. Can I just tell you something? Jesus always has a different perspective than we have. See, everyone saw, oh, this girl is dead. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. This is just prime for a miracle, and I'm about to blow your mind. But check this out, verse 53. They laughed at him. I got to read that. I mean, like, how could they laugh at Jesus? Can I just tell you something? I am guilty of laughing at the king when he tells me what he's going to do. Oh, Jesus, you're going you're gonna to step into the midst of my mess and you're going to change me? <laughs> Jesus, you have given me a new name when I've grown accustomed to a lesser name? <laughs> Jesus, there's a breakthrough coming and a victory coming? <laughs> and you know what? Jesus goes, laugh if you want to. I'm going to move anyways. Knowing that she was dead, verse 54, but in spite of the laughing, in spite of their perspective, but he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Here's the deal. You typically wouldn't touch a dead body in this day because then you would become unclean. But Jesus touches this little girl and brings her back to life. And you know what he does with our shame? He touches our shame too. And he transforms it. But what I also know is that Jairus was willing to lead him to his daughter, lead him to his shame. And what does Jesus do in the midst of shame? He changes it and uses it and leverages it to reveal his goodness and his gospel. What is true in this story and what is true is today, we need the touch of Jesus. Because Jesus will take our brokenness and our sin and give us a coat of righteousness. He will take those shameful acts and he will pay the price for them and call us by a new name. He will take that pain and that hurt that we've experienced that's the cause of the reason why we walk in shame and will give us a new name and invite us to dine at his table so that our identity will be changed by the fact that we dine at the king's table.
He takes it, he touches it, and he transforms it. Colossians 2 puts this so beautifully. It says this in Colossians 2, verse 13. And you, talking about us, Paul was writing to the church at Colossae, but it still is talking to us. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He takes that shame that we walk in, that we're so prone to walk in, and he takes it and he nailed it to the cross and he uses it against the enemy and says, hey, what you got to say now, shame? What do you have to say now, enemy, because of my completed work on the cross and that I have paid it in full? This shame no longer defines who you are. So what does that mean for you right here and right now? That means this, that you are not just your past anymore. You are not what you did. You are not some, what someone did to you. You are not what others think you are. You are not even what you think you are. You are who Christ says you are. You are free. You are forgiven. You are changed. You are redeemed. You are healed. You are chosen. You are complete. You are accepted. And you are a child of God. You are not your shame. And hear me, shame sometimes screams loudly to you. Shame sometimes will tell you, you know what, you are still this. Can I just tell you, the cross has already answered that. That is not who you are. The victory has been won, your name has been changed, and you have been given this gift. But here's the deal. You have to be willing to accept it. It is offered to you. Jesus is willing to take it on and nail it to a cross for open shame, but you have to surrender it. Are you willing to surrender it? If you would, right where you are, I want you to bow your heads. Father God, in this place, may this be a people that are willing to surrender their shame, their brokenness, and their separation to you and to you alone. Father, maybe today is the day for the first time someone says yes to that gift of relationship with you. Right here, right now, if they could say something like this and pray something like this to you in the quiet of their hearts, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but the best way I know how, I surrender my shame to you and I accept the price that was paid on a cross on my behalf. I accept the fact that three days later you got up reigning over death and sin and because you reign over death and sin, and if I'm walking in right relationship with you, I know I have overcome the grave as well. So Jesus, I say yes. If you prayed something like that right here and right now, I promise you on the authority of God's word, not Nick's word, but on God's word, it says that you will be free. And that you will be with the king forever. That means that shame doesn't define you anymore, but the king does. And so, Father, may we surrender that to you. For those who have just surrendered that to you, Lord, will you allow them to take the bold next step? 
Father, thank you that you step in the midst of our shame. You redeem it and you change it and you call us by name. We love you. We thank you. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.